CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome to Friday and Options Action. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. Here is what on tap for tonight. The giant asset manager that is the market. And how codependency rarely ends well. Carter Worth explains. Then, two sides to travel. Tony Zhang on why he thinks Disney will remain the happiest place on earth. And... Even if the cruise industry is adrift, your trade around it can keep sailing along. Professor Ko takes the helm. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts right now. Well, welcome back. T. Rowe Price, as the market goes up, so does T. Rowe, more so. But is this asset giant heading up a creek without a paddle, so to speak? Carter Worth breaks it down for us. Carter, take it away. Well, that's right. Before looking at the charts, I mean, really, in a way, T. Rowe, if you look at the largest stocks from Apple to Microsoft to Google and look at who are the biggest holders, it's always things like uh, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. But those are uh, passive managers with ETFs. T. Rowe, as an active manager, is essentially the largest holder of some of the biggest stocks, which, of course, drive the market. So if one's thinking that maybe the market has some issues, it's a good time to either hedge your T. Rowe or take some measures. Let's look at a table or two and then a chart or two. First, in terms of beta, when we sold off from the peak of February 20 to the March 24th low, T. Rowe dropped 41%. You can see that there versus the S&P down 35%. So uh, drops more than the market. And as would be expected, look at the next slide. On the way back up, of course, from the pandemic low to where we are right now, T. Rowe is up 105. Um, excuse me, S&P is up 105 and T. Rowe is up 168. So you get more juice on the way down and you get more juice on the way up. So let's look at uh, a slide or two, a chart or two. Here's a comparative chart. It's a three-year chart. You can see the parallel lines. That is simply two colors, T. Rowe price versus the S&P 500. But you see T. Rowe pulling away from the market, increasingly steep and uncorrected. Final chart. This is just T. Rowe on its own. It's the 45-degree angle, the trend line uh, along which it's been ascending until of late where it's getting steeper and steeper and uncorrected. Our thinking is take some measures if you're long, trim, hedge, or bet short. Really interesting stuff, Carter. Mike, how would you suggest that we trade this, taking into account the technical analysis from Carter? Yeah, I mean, so, of course, one of the reasons that you're going to see T. Rowe so closely correlated with something like the S&P is that it's really closely correlated with asset prices in general. And the reason, of course, is because their fees are asset-based. If bond prices rise, if equity prices rise, and not just in the United States, but, I mean, globally, so we would really be thinking even about all-world equity prices as they rise, that obviously provides a significant tailwind for T. Rowe, especially when those are appreciating at rates greater than some of their expenses might be. So you will see widening margins. Basically, everything is working in that kind of an environment. And, you know, that, of course, has been the case for T. Rowe, except for one thing. 
and that is that the one area where they have been facing some consistent headwinds is from some of the aforementioned companies that Carter talked about that have passive investments. And one of the reasons for that is that is pressuring the fees for asset managers, T. Rowe included. So if you basically put those two things together, the potential for continuing pressure on fees and the potential, obviously, for asset price pullbacks, that could obviously create two headwinds where one of those was a, a tailwind previously. So I think one of the things we could do here without actually just going ahead and shorting a stock that is steep and uncorrected, because, of course, that comes down to a timing issue, using options looking out to December. I was looking at the December 210-190 put spread. Now, folks might be wondering why I was choosing those strikes. It's a little bit uh, out of the money there. A couple of reasons for this. One is that generally speaking, when we use debit spreads, call spreads or put spreads, we like to limit the amount that we spend on these if they're out of the money, both strikes, to about 25%. When I was looking at that earlier today, that $20 put spread would cost about $5.10. So we're getting that math, at least, to be roughly correct. The other thing is that when you go a little bit further out in time, one of the things that has happened generally is that you need the price, obviously, to fall. But this is something where it has to fall down to that lower strike. That would obviously be a pretty significant decline from here. And the other thing is that there is some limited strikes availability there. So that was the reason I chose this particular spread. Huh. Okay, Tony, what do you make of Mike's trade here? Yeah, so this is a bit of a tough one because when you look at the technical chart, it's a very strong uptrend, and that uptrend has not broken just yet. And if you look at the business itself, it's also a fairly well-run business. Uh, you have fairly strong revenue growth, uh, strong operating margins, and it's, it's hard to find a fault in the particular business at the moment. But the bigger picture is what Mike was talking about earlier. Ten years ago, active management accounted for about 72% of all AUM. Today, that sits at about 50%. So that shift from active to passive has been going on for quite some time, and it continues. And we saw about $600 million worth of outflows for T. Rowe in the second quarter. Now, that's a fairly small percentage of the $1.6 trillion that they manage, but that's the bigger picture that we have to focus on. So for me, I'm a little bit more neutral here on T. Rowe than outright bearish, but I do understand Mike trade because he's going all the way out to December. He's buying himself a lot of time. T. Rowe reports earnings at the end of October, and that could potentially be the catalyst where we see some more outflows. We see the market correct a little, and that could be the trigger for uh, the debit spread to work out. He's only risking here a little under 2.5% of the stock's value, and that's what I particularly like about this trade. If the market keeps rolling on sideways or keeps moving higher, you're risking a small percentage of the stock's value to take this somewhat speculative and, and opportunistic bet to the downside. Interesting stuff. Let's turn now to Disney because we just got some big news out of the company on their movie plans. Julia Borston is here with those details. Hi, Julia. Hi, Courtney. Well, Disney announcing exclusive theatrical windows for the rest of its films in 2021 with 45-day windows for five films that are coming out between October and December. Those films include Marvel's Eternals as well as West Side Story. That's from Steven Spielberg. They're also giving a 30-day exclusive theatrical window for animated film Encanto, which is coming out in November before those films are available on Disney Plus. Now, this change speaks to the success of the exclusive theatrical release of Marvel's Shang-Chi, which came out exclusively in theaters over Labor Day weekend. That film grossing a record $94 million over the holiday weekend. It's now grossed $162 million worldwide. 
Today's announcement also shows a shift in strategy after Disney simultaneously released Black Widow as well as Cruella on Disney Plus as well as in theaters. It was that Black Widow release that sparked the lawsuit from Scarlett Johansson over her compensation for those films. Now, Disney's chairman of media and entertainment distribution, Kareem Daniel, he said, quote, as confidence in movie going continues to improve, we look forward to entertaining audiences in theaters. So guys, this is going to be a really interesting one to watch. But those numbers over Labor Day, wow, that was a record for Shang-Chi and Disney clearly paying attention to that. Very impressive, Julie. I know there was a big question as to whether or not that was going to be a success or not. And I think, as you point out, the numbers clearly point to yes. Yes, it was. Thank you very much. And if you think this announcement is a big win for Disney, too, Tony has a way to play it. Tony, how are you playing the House of Mouse? Yeah, so I'm looking at a bit of a dual reopening and streaming plus media play here on Disney. Uh, You know, let's first take a look at a chart here on the stock itself. Now, the stock has really struggled since pretty much March, but I've spent the last four months or so trying to build a base. And I actually think now is the time that it's primed for a potential breakout here now that it's been forming this base for the last four months. And more importantly, I think what we have to look at here is the relative chart to its sector, the consumer discretionary sector. This is also a stock that has largely underperformed severely here over the past year or so, but but over the past month or so, we've actually seen some strong outperformance here against its sector, but also against many of the travel stocks that we associate the Disney theme parks with. And that's really kind of the key for, to, that I'm looking for for this potential outperformance going forward. And if you look at the, uh, you know, the business itself, earnings and revenue have largely virtually recovered to uh, the same levels as Q3 of 2019 prior to the pandemic. Now, the business is very different. We have a Disney Plus business that is now a streaming business, and that's why I do think that it justifies a slight, a, a somewhat elevated valuation compared to what it was trading at back in Q3 of 2019. So the trade structure that I want to use here is to take a longer-term bullish view here on Disney, and I'm going out to the October-January 185-195 call diagonal, where I'm buying the January 185 calls for about $11.75. And I'm selling the short-term October 195 calls against that uh, for about $2 or so and bringing the net debit here on this uh, diagonal spread to about $9.75 or roughly 2% of the stock's value. And the goal here is to hopefully see those October calls expire worthless and to sell further calls against it to reduce the cost of those January uh, 185 calls and to take that long-term bullish view here uh, going into next year. Mike, what do you make of Tony's trade here on Disney? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of reasons why this might be a better approach than going out and buying the stock. Obviously, uh, this week signaled that, you know, markets, while they have been obviously very strong, that isn't always going to be the case necessarily. This week was evidence of that. As Tony rightly pointed out, the valuation for Disney, maybe justifiably and maybe not, is higher than it has been historically. But by using a call diagonal, you're limiting the, out, uh, the premium that you're spending to obviously a much smaller amount than you would be and therefore limiting your downside risk versus purchasing the stock. And the other thing I would say is that, of course, selling that upside call, the 195 strike, is going to mitigate a lot of the decay. So essentially the cost of having that longer dated call is mitigated at least until that shorter dated option expires. And of course, the expectation is that not you're going to 
go right through that short strike, but rather that you're going to get the opportunity to sell additional premium against it. This is kind of a way to essentially do a buy right but mitigate the downside risk. Got it. Well, next up, the opposite side of the world, travel sphere, because cruise lines are adrift. Doesn't mean your trading strategy around them, though, can't remain on a set course. Professor Co is quite figuratively on deck. Don't forget, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. We'll be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. There's a phrase in sailing, in irons. It's when a sailboat stalls after steering directly into the wind. Could also be an appropriate phrase for cruise line stocks right now. But you can still chart a course for them with options. Professor Ko, take it away. Sure. So many of uh, the viewers here may own Carnival Cruise Lines, obviously one of the largest cruise operators uh, in the world. And this is really an oligopoly. And of course, there has been a lot of news, some of it on this network, covering the fact that there has been some return to cruising and that uh, bookings have been keeping up a pretty impressive pace. And of course, the company is going to be announcing earnings next week. I would urge people, though, to exercise a little bit of caution here or, you know, basically bridle their enthusiasm a little bit. A few reasons for that. Uh, the first is, that we certainly have not returned anywhere close to the pre-pandemic levels of cruising. And in fact, Carnival themselves just recently announced that at least 15 ships, which were slated to go back into service next month, that has been delayed by at least another month. And another five that were expected to be in service by the end of the year, that has now been pushed into next year. So that obviously is a, is a potential slowdown at the very least. The second thing is that when you're investing in stocks generally, one of the things that investors care a lot about is the return of capital of shareholders, which typically comes in two forms, either dividends or share repurchases. They suspended their dividend, and of course we're not going to have any basically reinitiation of the dividends or share repurchases until they get back to something close to pre-pandemic levels. And finally, the Delta variant obviously presents its own headwind as well, and that is because, of course, the CDC themselves have identified that cruise ships can be a higher risk environment and many people will know that the demographics of those who cruise tends to skew a little bit older than the broader population so that tends to be a more at-risk population you put those two things together and one could see that it's going to take probably a lot more than just lower prices and we're seeing some of the lowest prices since the post september 11th period to get travelers back onto the boats uh, that's obviously not going to be great, fundamentally speaking. So in a situation like this, you own the stock and you're trying to figure out how to squeeze more out of it. You're not getting your dividends. What can you do? Well, one of the things we are seeing is elevated options premiums going into uh, earnings. And if you have a neutral sentiment and you're favoring income over the possibility of price appreciation, certainly one of the things you can try to look for is the opportunity to sell covered calls, which is one of the most common strategies that people can use on stocks that they own. And this will offer you, generally speaking, a higher probability of profits while possibly mitigate, mitigating how much those profits could potentially be because you're selling a call on the underlying shares. I was looking out to October, the 25 strike calls, those were about 77 cents when I was looking at those earlier today. Now, 
77 cents may not sound like a lot. Please put that into context of the current share price, which is about $22.75. So that's well more than 3% of the current stock price that one would collect by selling the right to somebody else to purchase their shares from them at a share price higher than the stock is today, $25. So essentially, your profits would be capped at that $25.75 level, give or take uh, up about 8% or so from where the stock currently sits. Carter, what's in the charts here? No more pun intended. What are they telling you here about the technical levels and Mike's trade and what it might suggest to you? Sure. I mean, I, I think what Mark's articulating is that, you know, sometimes you don't have to get all that big a move. Um, and sometimes maybe a stock is fallow. And that's at least my judgment here. Let's look at two charts. This is a comparative chart. Now, you can see those three lines. They are literally like uh, parallel lines. Uh, you've got Boeing versus Carnival Cruise versus an ETF of all airlines, jets, cute symbol, right? U.S. global airline ETF. They're identical, meaning there's nothing idiosyncratic about the way CCL is trading versus I could put Norwegian Cruise Line on there or Royal Caribbean or Boeing. Um, the point being that they're all sort of stuck doing nothing. And I think that's what's going to happen. Look at the second and final chart. That's just CCL it's, itself. So we know this was seven on the pandemic low. It rallied as high as 30, depicted here in this chart. And now we're just sort of wallowing. Um, I don't think there's any big movement coming. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay, some wallowing in the cruise lines or some of these other travel plays as well. Well, up next, something to chew on. We'll explain, but you're going to have to stick with Options Action. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. Two weeks ago, we brought you a trade on Chewy before its quarterly results. Right now, the market is implying about a 9% move, but over the past eight quarters, the stock has only moved on average of about 6%. So when you take into account the fact that the stock is trading at fairly rich valuations, which means that upside may be somewhat limited, and the fact the implied volatilities are so elevated, the trade structure that I prefer to use going into earnings is to sell a put spread. So I'm going out to the October 1st weekly options, and I'm selling the $90, $83 put vertical. Now, earlier today when I was looking at this, I was able to sell the October 90s for about $6.20 and pay $3.20 for the October, 80, uh, October 1st 83 puts. Net-net here, I'm collecting about $3. Okay, so since then, the stock's kind of gotten chewed over. Tony, what do we do with this puppy? Yeah, so this uh, Chewy missed both earnings and revenue expectations. The stock is down almost 15% here since we put out that trade. But this is a prime example as to why we use limited risk strategies such as a put vertical to play catalyst events like this. The stock is down almost 15%, but you can buy this call, uh, this put spread back for about $6.50 earlier today. That's a loss of about $3.50, which is only 4% of the underlying stock's value. So it's time to cut your losses and move on to the next trade. Carter, what do you make of the charts and Chewy and technical analysis of what might be coming? Sure, one thing we know is when you get a heavy volume drop and gap, invariably it's news related, this was, and by definition it was bad news. Uh, it's usually right to stay away from drops and gaps. One of the great market adages is don't catch a falling knife. Okay. Uh, Mr. Coe, what do you make of this one? 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations. Remember also that when you're dealing with vertical spreads, that they don't typically go to the complete value of the distance between the strikes right away. That happens at expiration. So in situations where, let's say you do a credit spread, a, a credit put spread, for example, to make a bullish bet, if you get the direction wrong, you actually have a little bit of time before the maximum loss is imposed on you to basically take your take your licks and move on. And I think that actually is uh, what you want to do here, and I think that's why Tony's suggesting it. Take your licks and move on. I like it, Mike. Well, up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, what is Tony's opinion on the Lowe's October 15th $190 puts? Hold or cover? Tony, what do you make? $190 puts on Lowe's. Yeah, so I'm not sure by the sound of that tweet as to whether you're long or short that put, but the fact that Lowe's is now holding above that $200 resistance level, which is now holding as support, leads me to believe that there's further upside here for Lowe's. So if you're long those puts, I think it's time to cut it. If you're short those puts, I think you can hold on to those. Okay, our next viewer writes, looking at Ford Motor, it made a high in June and is consolidated for the past three months. Is it about to make a run to the upside? What's a way to play Ford Motor? Carter, why do you take this one? Well, it did make a high in June, but what it's done since June is actually dropped 25%. I'm not sure I'd call that consolidating. My hunch is that Ford's going lower. You could look at an October 12.50, 12 put spread, pay 21 cents. You double your money if the stock drops 5%. All right, and our final viewer asks, Shopify appears to be bear flagging on the daily and more important, rolling over on a relative basis with a brick wall of resistance around 1,560. I feel like I want to sell a call spread with the bid ask so wide and unstable. Can you recommend a trade for Shopify, please? Mike, this one's for you. Yeah, the key thing here is actually just use limit orders. Try to pick a mid-market price and then walk your way down until you get an execution on a limit order on that complex spread. I think that's the way to get you done. Okay, thank you, Carter, Mike, and Tony. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. But don't go anywhere because Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.